to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, or online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next is Cover to Cover Open Book. Stay with us. Today on Cover to Cover Open Book, we present part two of the Hula Lesson. Girls in grass skirts and coconut bras. That's what tourists see at a Hawaiian luau. But hula dancing is actually an ancient cultural art which teaches its people about their history, and it has a great deal to teach the rest of us as well. As I discovered in The Hula Lesson. You have hands, you have feet, you have bodily movement, and you can manipulate all of that to say certain things. It's a combination of ballet, opera, history, and the oral tradition. Hula has really been at the core of our life. You know, the values and the music, the love for the poetry, and it's become a grounding force in our life. Hula is a way of life. That is the one label that I can define hula. It's a way of life. living on the Hawaiian Islands, I made great friends and had wonderful experiences. But there was sometimes this lingering, uncomfortable feeling of being an outsider. It was like there was some special inner circle that I was not invited to be a part of. In Hawaii, a great deal of attention is paid to the question of who belongs on the islands and who doesn't. But different people see this question differently. To some, it comes down to whether or not you were born on the islands. For others, it's the color of your skin. And white skin, no matter what your ancestry, can mean outsider to a lot of people in Hawaii. It's not a simple situation for someone from the mainland to understand because everyone in Hawaii came from somewhere else at some point in history. But I can tell you, it certainly is interesting to be white in Hawaii and be in the racial minority. But then, meeting Roselle and her halau of multicultural women changed all that. Roselle was teaching this most essential of Hawaiian arts to non-Hawaiians. And suddenly I felt accepted and I felt at home. And I think this was because the circle had widened to encompass all of us. In fact, all of humanity. There was no way to stand outside of that. I remember the first year Amele Omawi, the scholarship contest, and it was a celebration. The committee said, we'll ask Roselle to bring some of her students over to dance, kahiko, ancient dancing, traditional dancing. So I took six girls with me, and of the six was one little haole girl. We did some very traditional hula pahu, or what they call 
temple dances. And I was criticized by quite a few people for having a Howdy girl dancing those dances. She took a lot of flack and harassment from people who had different opinions about that activity. But she proceeded because she felt it was really necessary. If it's a problem for other people, it doesn't bother me. It's their problem. I judge character. <laughs> the students have to be strong enough to hang in there with me. We set a path, and that path isn't traveled by many people, except the ancestors and others are now traveling that path. What Roselle has been doing with us over the last six or seven years is realizing the dream, realizing her dream. Her dream of doing what? That all of those rituals and those chants and dances are transposable to other situations. Who is Roselle's vehicle to educate and to restore the Hawaiian culture to its original dignity? My first love is the culture. The culture is for the people. And it's the people who carry that culture forward. But outside their circle, others still question whether Haoli's should dance hula. The focus of many hula groups that I see is to perform on stage, to put on a show. And that has validity, but our focus is different. Our focus is that this is the history of hula, which is an integral part of the history of the people and foundation of Hawaii. Roselle has given us the responsibility of making sure that it's accurate, that we understand the basis, and we feel strong and firm in what we're doing. And so when people question or when people give us a hard time about it, we can still be really firm in providing the information that's correct. Why do they give you a hard time about it? Because we're white. And in Hawaii, the whole sovereignty issue has made this Kanaka pride emerge. And so you've got brown people who have this new pride for themselves and their language. And some of the brown people put out the vibe that this is our culture, it's our place, it's our land, it's our language, and who are you to come and practice it and tell me anything about it because it's in my blood and it's not in your blood. So that brings me back to the question, what does it actually mean to be Hawaiian? Well, let's see. Science has proven that all of humanity has come from the same woman through DNA. Who the fathers are, that would be interesting. <laughs> Hawaiians are classified as mongoloid, negroid, caucasoid. <laughs> so <laughs> we all fall in these classifications. <laughs> so then is there a value, do you think, to defining your heritage within a certain geographical location? The whole situation hangs on the words Hawaiian and Native Hawaiian and Indigenous peoples. We're playing a word game now. The Hawaiian people who were here before Captain Cook are called Aboriginal. A Native is one who is a citizen of the nation of Hawaii. And now they're trying to confuse people even further by adding the word Indigenous peoples.
when I first heard that, I thought, indigenous? Plants are indigenous. People are not. So what are they trying to say? That we are plants? <laughs> I am not Hawaiian, according to any of these definitions. But somehow, I do feel that hula is a part of me. It helps define who I am. I think this is because of the way hula expresses and reflects the culture of these islands. Islands which I came to know so intimately. Ai, kauli lua ike anu o vai ale ale. Learning stories like that of Brother Taro is just a first step in learning hula. Roselle students must dig even deeper, examining each word that is represented in the movements or songs of the dance. The beauty of the language is that one little phrase can just be taken in so many different ways. So, this morning we were practicing. And we said, Oka'ahu, Manu hei no, Manu is bird. And so we were going, Oh, do you go up on the Ka'ahu or do you go up on the Manu? And Roselle looked at us and said, What's the bird? Manu, where do you go up? Of course, you go up on the bird, right? So, Haina mai kapuana la ei, Oka'ahu. Manu hei no I go up on the manu, not on the ahu. The subtleties. I never thought about that before, but that's what Polynesian languages do. Those syllables are so little and those words are so small, but they mean so much. All right. Tell me your observations starting from the top. What you think is going on and why. I sit in on a lesson where the students are studying a song word by word. The syllables are peeled away from the story like an onion on the cutting block. Okay, but there's something else I'm trying for you to get. The word mo'o. Perpetuation or carry on. Right. So what's mo'opuna? Puna is spring. Mo'opuna. Mo'opuna is your grandchild. Yeah. So sometimes grandchildren are referred to as mo'o. Well, if you look at the fetus. Oh, yes. It's a mo'o. Yeah. So, mo'o. And it lives in the water. Yes. It's also a recollection of the story of Kauakahi, who goes down with the mo'o down into the cave. You know that story? They fall in love, and she convinces him to go down and live with her underwater in a cave. And then he gets tired of it, tired of being down there, and so he comes back up. It would be suffocating, like a child too long in the womb. It's one of the old stories that has carried on through the years. Understanding each word, its history, its meaning, and its place in the story is so vital because dancing and singing these words are the foundation of hula. 
And in turn, hula creates a foundation for Hawaiian culture. Hula is only one aspect of the Hawaiian culture. There are other aspects of the Hawaiian culture, but they all share the same foundation of dedication, of learning what the rules are or the protocols are. There's a Hawaiian word for protocols. It's loina. It's good manners, following a process of good manners. That's the bottom line. Good manners. That's all. There's one Hawaiian word that everyone is familiar with. Aloha. For many, this one small word expresses the essence of Hawaiian culture. There is such a deep-seated paradigm of aloha here. Why don't you say what you think aloha means? Aloha. It is Hawaii's great gift. It means respect for all life in every single moment and never begrudging that respect when anybody walks into your environment. The basis of this respect lies in Hawaii's geography. There are distinct limits to islands. And on islands, you had to make sure you didn't offend people or you behaved yourself in such a way that you were still welcome in their home. I believe that that sense of a limited landscape, you not only learned how to conserve resources, but what is one of our largest resources? Relationships. Actually, one of my favorite old-timers in Hawaii, Auntie Kia, calls it overwhelming love, is what aloha is, from her point of view. And that has survived, that survived the assault by another culture, and it doesn't show any signs of anything but spreading, and that is Hawaii's gift to the world. That is kind of the skeletal structure of what it is to be in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. is to have an overwhelming respect for yourself and for all life in every moment. I think the Hawaiian culture has a lot to do with being an expression of nature. Mm -hmm. Very much. You find your place within that and that's what allows you to discover yourself. So you learn to share together, you learn to respect each other, you learn to take care of each other. not only reflects culture, but it also teaches its lessons. Okay, what's Kekani Kaunakiamanu about? I think you know it. Do you know it? Okay, go ahead, Patricia. It's about hunting birds for the feathers to then make the adornments for the ali'i. And then later on, firearms were introduced, so the bird hunters then thought, oh, this is good, this is the easy way to get the birds. So I'll shoot the birds and get all the birds I want, gather up the feathers and go from there. And then after the fact, realizing, oh my goodness, I shot all the birds, Mm -hmm. and now I don't have any more birds, and shame. Sad shame. Sad shame. There are no more birds. I did it. In a way, it's a lament, and it's saying we're sorry this really happened. They really are gone. Yes. 86 or something, the mamo, the last mamo here. So again, documentation, oral history. And verification. Mm-hmm. It's also an antidote to a lot of that 
romantic claptrap that you hear about with the old Hawaiians, and they were always perfect ecologists and conservationists. But they weren't by gum. They weren't any more than anybody else was. They had to learn by making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And this was a particularly tragic one because it not only it destroys the birds, it destroys their livelihood, and it blows a hole in the web of the culture as well as the ecosystem because the feather crafters depend on the materials supplied by the Kiamanu. Mm-hmm. So the feather crafters cannot work, and then this this reverberates through the rest of the culture. So it's unraveling the whole web, really, mm-hmm. because of one thoughtless and selfish act. Well, the hope is that, from the bird catcher's point of view, because this is their lament, that the others will hear this song. By preserving it in the hula, you're able to hope that people learn from their mistakes and yeah. learn from history and don't repeat history. Right. Right. But this is nothing new. This is the way. That's the old tradition. That's the old tradition. Yeah. yeah. Spending time in Roselle's Halau, I'm beginning to understand why these Howley women are here and why I am here. Although it was not my ancestors who killed off the Mamo, I'm starting to see that there's something universal in what these stories have to say, something we can all relate to. Hula is a way of life. That is the one label that I can define hula. It's a way of life. How is it different from other ways of life? It's not different from other ways of life because human beings share the same basic foundations. Integrity, honor, trust, understanding, and respect, and a passion. It takes a lot of courage on her part, I think, to be so open. And my hope is that by being accepted into the halal as a non-native person, we are not diluting the true Hawaiian values and ways. These values are fundamental, and they're not just fundamental for Hawaii and Hawaiians. They're fundamental values of mankind and womankind. They're fundamental values of humanity. If we recognize our connection with our environment, if we're firm in our foundation of respect and relationship between person, animal, plant, life, fire, earth, wind, water, it's good no matter where you go. These values are common values. And all of us, of every nationality and ethnicity, are searching for them. Often we find them within the stories of our own tribe. But in America, so many of us are separated from our stories. So we look elsewhere. We look to people whose stories are still intact. The outside of Hawaii wants hula. And so we give our traditional knowledge. Now, why is the outside looking inside to us because they're spiritually undernourished. The citizens of the United States of America at this point are being bombarded with fear, apprehensions, with distrust, isolationism. They are confused or don't know who they are. And people have forgotten how to be with each other. That's very important. 
how to be with one another and to understand each other's plight and take care of each other. And they need, in today's society, it's especially true, they need to have a foundation under them upon which they can stand. But how do these women reconcile the lessons of Hula with their own upbringing? How do you learn another culture? How do you integrate who you are biologically and culturally? It's a big question. Our religious foundation is still very much there. Myself, Heu'i, and Hi'ipoi have a very strong Christian background. Heu'i is active in her church. I'm active in my church. Hi'ipoi is the daughter of a minister and was married to a minister. And then there's Pat and Jesse and Linny, the Jewish girls. Frankly, I think Roselle was surprised that I was able and willing to continue in Hula because for many Christian believers, they cannot. They are told not to dance kahiko dances, which give honor to the gods, the Hawaiian gods. There are young women who have left us who have just said, no, that's against my religion. I am a born-again Christian. I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I cannot participate in that kind of stuff. So I have had to reconcile that for myself, and I think there are others of us that have. Because when we go to the Ahu, when we go to Haena, and we go to Keahualaka, we are placing a piece of wood on an altar and we are giving offerings to a deity. And so my Christian religion says, thou shalt not. Is it sort of a melding? Do the gods that are discussed and revered in Hula, does that somehow support your Christian tradition or do you have to override it? For myself... I see what happens at Keahualaka as being culture and history. And what does it matter what name I call God overall, whether I say Laka or whether I say Jesus or whether I say Buddha, it's God overall. That's how I deal with it. So it doesn't matter where I am in that as long as I respect, honor, revere, and try to practice as much as I can the way what's right or what's good. It's that same Christian sort of orientation towards serving one's fellow men and women that led me in the direction of social work. But I always tried to integrate what I was learning about Hawaiian culture. For Cheryl, her job as a social worker is one avenue through which to act on her Christian values. Dancing and teaching hula is another. The Japanese in Hawaii have been recipients of much wealth of all kinds, and particularly political and socioeconomic wealth. And I think it is really imperative for Japanese people in Hawaii to be aware of how they got to where they are, at what cost to the native peoples of this land, and is there any way that we can help to right the wrongs and help to bring health and wholeness again to Kanaka Māori, to native peoples. 
So when I was laid off in my former agency, I no longer felt that I could only relate to certain families as their social worker. And one family happened to come to me and say, you know, we know you teach hula. Could the children come to you? It, it was really, it was such a freeing thing. And it made me so happy because I felt like I could continue to contribute to the development of these kids, you know, and I could help to instill that pride in their culture that only someone who is a practitioner of a cultural art can do. Those students who come to me from other ethnic groups or cultures all say they want to learn hula because they're interested in Hawaiian culture, they want to know about the Hawaiians, but do you know what they end up doing? They learn who they are and then stand up upon who they are and being proud of their past and their history and their culture. Through dancing hula, these women learn the lessons of humanity. And through teaching hula, they help to pass them on. In preserving the ancient stories of the Hawaiian ancestors, they are making connections with the wider world. We're all people of the same planet. Only thing, we're different colors, different ethnicity, but we all have the same kind of blood running through us and flesh and organs. And what is our responsibility as individuals today living in Hawaii to bring about change? Hula has really, really been at the core of our life. You know, the values and the music, the love for the poetry and everything. It's become a grounding force in our life. We're all here as visitors, and as long as we recognize each other and respect and meet, present, and listen to one another and offer the other encouragement, it's okay. Just because I love hula doesn't mean I'm Hawaiian. But Roselle and her students taught me that I don't need to be Hawaiian to make hula my own. In the ancient traditional stories told through the hula dance, I can find lessons that relate to my own life. I can construct a view of the world that encompasses my history and experiences. And I can grasp the tools I need to help build a future that includes us all. So what are we representing there? Current. Current? Um, movement from here to there. Carrying it all. Carry the Carry message. <laughs> 
Produced by Stephanie Geyer-Stevens for Outer Voices. Script by Claire Schoen and Catherine Stifter. Recorded by Edie Levis. Mixed engineer Robin Wise of Sound Imagery. The production assistant was Maureen Dada. Research intern was Anukin Warda. Thanks to the Dada family, the Pacheco family, and the Jakuta family for their hospitality in Kona. Special thanks to Roselle Bailey and to all the members of Kaimi Na'a'au O Hawaii Ne Halau. Thanks also to Marsha Erickson and her ohana, as well as to the staff of Koke'i State Park. Thanks also go to Susan Davis, Kimo Campbell, Matthew Campbell, Mimi George, Walt Hayes, and Liz Lindy, and to my loving, patient, and supportive extended family. Major underwriting for the Hula Lesson was provided by the Ford Foundation. Additional funding from Kimo Campbell on behalf of the Thousand Friends of Hawaii, Hawaii Forest and Trail, Mark Feichert, and Edie Levis. To purchase a copy of this program or to learn more about Outer Voices and other programs, please go to our website, www.outervoices.org. I'm Stephanie Geyer-Stevens. Thanks for listening. Annual support from loyal members keeps KPFA on the air from day to day and year to year. A bequest, which is a gift through your will or living trust, goes even farther. All planned gifts, including bequests,